Well, good morning from me. My name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors at the Project Church. So good to have you join us. Uh, we'd just love to encourage you this morning. Uh, I'm going to be kind of laying out an argument for eternal rewards today. So a piece of paper and a pen might help. And definitely a Bible will help. The subtitle of this message today is uh, What Are They? Eternal Rewards and How Can You Get As Many As Possible? Uh, that's what we're after today. If you've had anything to do with psychology, counselling or education, you'd be familiar with the uh, psychological theory of behaviourism. Um, if you haven't, you know what rewards are and punishments are, and that's basically what behaviourism is. It says that you can control people and you can help to change people by giving them the right rewards and the right punishments. And who knows that this is really powerful? Rewards in particular are, uh, are really, really powerful. They're powerful with animals and dogs, and they're really powerful with human beings. Think about the star chart. Who, uh, who competed on the star chart in primary school? Yeah, come on. There's a few hands in the studio audience here today for the star chart. Uh, the lolly jar, that was another one, right? The biscuit jar. You could go on and on uh, talking about the different types of rewards that people have used in the past to, um, to shape people's behavior. Uh, they, they really do work. Uh, rewards really do have an effect on people's behavior. But sometimes they have a negative effect on people's behavior. Let me give you a, a, a few examples of this. Um, rewards don't work when the child values the type of behavior they want to engage in more than the reward itself. I've seen this uh, lots and lots of times teaching because I've always, in my teaching career, I always taught in P to 12 schools. And I noticed that rewards would work really well in primary school, maybe the early part of high school. And then it was typically the boys. The boys would just go, eh, it's just not worth it anymore. I wanna be able to do what I wanna do and a Mars bar's not gonna stop me. Uh, it kind of breaks down at that point. Um, the other, another way that I think rewards break down is rewards break down when people lose complete interest in the action that earns the reward. Let me give you an example. Uh, maths. Uh, you could give someone a reward to do maths, but if the person only ever does maths to get a reward, that's kind of not what we're gunning for because maths actually has a benefit in life. It actually has its own kind of intrinsic value. We don't want to teach someone that maths is only valuable because you get a reward. It would be weird for uh, one of your children, if you've got children, to get to 30 years of age and to be standing at the checkout at Big W with the cashier waiting for the money and that 30 year old standing there going, I'm not gonna count up my money until someone gives me a reward or offers me a reward. It's like there's, there's value in maths for its own ends. When, when rewards get to the point where the only thing that's valued is the reward and not the action to get there, it, they actually become problematic. The third way that I think rewards break down is rewards break down when um, the person receiving the reward works out how to work the system. Uh, if, if, you, uh, if your child chucks a tantrum every time you get to the checkout and you give them a reward, it won't be that long before they work out that they just need to chuck a tantrum to get the reward and they'll start working the system. Rewards have got their limitations. And so a good question would be, uh, are they okay? Should we avoid giving them? Uh, good questions. Um, if you feel like I'm having a crack at rewards, just hang on because the pendulum's about to swing the other way. 
Uh, one of the things we like to say at the project is uh, if Jesus, whatever Jesus says and does is pretty good and we should just do it. And if he actually talks about rewards, then probably that's okay. There must be a way in which they're good. Uh, I want to say to you this morning that Jesus was prolific at offering rewards to people, eternal rewards. Now, was Jesus just offering rewards to modify our behavior so that we would be good people? Was, it, was that the kind of reward that he was offering or the rewards that he was offering? Well, let's have a look at um, a section of Jesus' teaching, a really significant one, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and we're going to look at Matthew. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew has the Greek word, one of the Greek words used for reward. It actually occurs most frequently in Matthew than any other book. So I'd love for you to go to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read a couple of verses in Matthew 5 and then the first six verses of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verse 11 and 12 to start. So if you can find that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Go down to verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Now go to chapter 6, verse 1. We'll just read the first six verses. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse 2, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So here's the three places we're going to go this morning. Here's the first one. We're going to talk about rewards briefly. The second thing we're going to do today is look at the nature of rewards. What are they? So rewards exist in scripture. Uh, Jesus talks about them. They pop up quite frequently in other scripture. Uh, what are they? And the last thing that we're going to do today, always performing a community service, the project, is um, how to get rewards, right? It's going to help you to so get as many as you can, stuff your bag as full with rewards as you possibly can. So let's kick in. Uh, number one, rewards. Let's just start here. The reality of rewards is that they pop up regularly in the New Testament and throughout the Scriptures. Uh, the, the notion of rewards is not a fringe idea in the Scriptures. There's a lot of people have written about it. There's a lot of people who have actually thought about it. Um, and, and the idea of uh, the, word that's, the Greek word that's translated reward in the ESV is the idea of getting paid back. Um, and that's kind of what we're, what we're looking at here. Um, we've got through the, 
the uh, Gospels, you've got Jesus talking about rewards quite frequently. Uh, Paul explicitly talks about rewards. And I'd really love for you to go to this uh, passage, 1 Corinthians 3. I just want to read this on. This will be significant for us later on. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10. One Corinthians three verse ten. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Anyone who loves Jesus has the foundation of Jesus Christ underneath them. Now, if anyone builds, this is verse twelve of one Corinthians three. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. What's God going to do? He's going to test everything that we do in our life with fire at the end. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Listen to this. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So there are some who are going to build some things and they love Jesus, but it's actually not going to stand the test of fire. And it seems to imply here that they're going to miss out and the ones who build well get a reward. That's what it appears. Uh, You get into Hebrews chapter chapter 11 and chapter 11 talks about how Moses... um, consider the reproach of Christ better or greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he was looking to the reward. You go to Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians 6 verse 8 it says this, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. There's a sense of reward in Paul there. We could go on for a long time. Reward is a pretty key idea in the scriptures. Now, here's the um, second thing about rewards. We've established that they're there. We've established that they're significant. The second one is this. Who hands out rewards? That's important. Who hands them out? Uh, You've only really got two options. People can hand them out and God can hand them out. You see in Matthew chapter 6 that people thinking that you're a good person is a reward. So other people can hand you a reward um, or God can hand you a reward. And uh, you see that in Matthew 6, that, that Jesus is saying, don't, don't go to other people to get a reward, go to God to get a reward. So rewards exist. Uh, God and people hand them out. Uh, who gets them? Well, the people who get them are uh, God's people. Um, by and large, almost entirely, the way that New, the New Testament talks about rewards is they're handed out to God's people. Um, there is or there appears to be the idea in the New Testament that rewards um, can vary from one person to another. You know, for some of you go, well, that's, that's a, well, how's heaven going to be heaven? So, well, well, there won't be any envy and there won't be any covetousness. So it's actually going to be okay. Um, so what you've got in the, in the Bible is you've got, you've got rewards. Uh, it's all over the place. They come from God and from other people. Um, Generally, what you've got in the Bible is the people who love Jesus are the ones that get the rewards. And generally, these rewards are positive. Although there are, um, there there is a a verse in Revelation 22, verse 12, 
which says, Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense, which is the same Greek word as reward, with me to repay each one for what he has done. So there's even a sense in Revelation that there is going to be a reward for people who've walked away from God, but it's not going to be a happy one. All right, here's the last thing I just want to sketch out for you with broad brushstrokes here is uh, when do you get these rewards? Uh, If God's people get them, when do they get them? Well, some of the rewards come in this life. Um, You can can see that um, the rewards that come from other people, the praise of other people in Matthew chapter 6, you actually get it now. That's when you get it. Um, people can give them to you now. And even uh, if you go to Mark chapter 10, verse 28 to 30, uh, you've got this, um, you've got the disciples saying to Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, there's no one who's left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and the, in the age to come eternal life. So what's the big idea here is that rewards can get handed out to people in this life. And Jesus hands out some rewards to people in this life that forego things uh, for his sake. But mostly when it comes to the re- rewards that Jesus hands out to his children, they're eternal. That's most of the rewards that you can expect. And we read that verse earlier from uh, Matthew chapter 5 there uh, about persecution. And the encouragement from Jesus is when you get persecuted, rejoice and be glad because your reward in heaven is great. All right. That was a really quick cook's tour of uh, rewards in the Bible. Now, here's point number two this morning. What is the nature of rewards? that Jesus talks about, that the Bible talks about. Now, Jesus is not particularly clear about exactly what the nature of these rewards are. Um, And even in the scripture as a whole, they're they're a bit vague. Uh, So if you're wanting to nail it down into a kind of 10-point list, it's going to be a little bit tricky for you. Um, It's it's not 100% clear. You know, one of the questions in people's minds is, do we get cool stuff or do we not get cool stuff? We just kind of want cool stuff, right? Is it it that kind of reward that we get some cool stuff or is it not like that at all? Um, We could stop and we could reflect on that question for a few moments and that would be helpful to us. But let me help you out with an illustration. I'm going to put on the screen a really nice car. This is, uh, as I talk about this, uh, this is one of those what is wrong with this picture exercise. And I don't mean the picture of the car itself. I just mean the picture I'm about to paint. Uh, Imagine that you are a Christian and you love Ferraris. You really love Ferraris. You've heard about heaven and you've heard about the rewards that are on offer and you know there's some kind of physicality in heaven, in eternity, you know that you've read those scriptures about how we're going to have a, 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 a physical, some kind of physical body that's similar but different to the one that we've got at the moment. And you have heard that there are going to be Ferraris in heaven. They are going to be in heaven. And some of you would go, of course, of course, there's going to be Ferraris in heaven. There's no two ways about it. You also know, you also know that those who don't pray in public 
For those who do that, you get a Ferrari on offer for the rest of eternity with no fuel bills, no crashes, and no trolley scrapes. It's heaven after all, right? You really, really, really love Ferraris, so you get to work praying in secret so that you can secure one of these bad boys for the rest of eternity. What's wrong with this picture? Well, what's wrong with the picture is you're, you really love Ferraris and you're using God to get one. That's the problem with it. See, what you actually do or what you are doing in that moment is you're reckoning the value of two things. You're reckoning the value of, of uh, praying in secret to God with the value of getting a Ferrari. And the one that ends up being your end objective is the one that you value the most highly. You know, in this case, Ferrari, having a Ferrari for eternity is more to be desired than God himself. You know, this, this is problematic. You know, you only do what you need to do so that you can get what you really want to get. And you know what that is? That's actually um, the idea of being a mercenary. You know, mercenaries um, are people who actually get paid to fight in wars, not primarily for the good of the country or the people that they're fighting for, but just so that they can get paid. And historically, we know that mercenaries can go really, really badly wrong when someone's not actually paying them. Because the only thing that holds them at that point in time is the reward that they're getting at the end. They don't really have an interest in the rest of what's going on. I want to read a quote from C.S. Lewis that kind of cashes this out and uses that term mercenary. There are different kinds of reward. There is the reward which has no natural connection with the things you do to earn it and is quite foreign to the desires that ought to accompany those things. Money is not the natural reward of love. That is why we call a man mercenary if he marries a woman for the sake of her money. But marriage is the proper reward for a real lover, and he is not mercenary for desiring it. A general who fights well in order to get a peerage or to get paid is mercenary. A general who fights for victory is not Victory being the proper reward of battle as marriage is the proper reward of love. The proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. What Lewis is saying here is when you lose the linkage, the the DNA or the genus between the action that you're doing and the reward that you get, that's when it actually gets problematic. He said that the best kind of reward is that you get the consummation or the the final ending of what your action was driving toward in the first place. So in the context of a mercenary that fights a battle that's not their battle that they have no interest in, the the money that they get in the end has absolutely no link to what they're doing. But if you were a soldier fighting against the Nazis in World War II, an English soldier fighting against the Nazis, you know you would have been paid, but the real true reward was a free society was the victory of a free society, of defending your people. And you got to enjoy that. Do you see the difference? One, you're doing an action that's completely different to the reward that you're getting. The other one, it actually, the meaning of it runs right through the action to the reward. And you can apply this in almost, 
in a myriad of locations. Being able to do maths is its own reward in life. Being able to do English is its own reward in life. Lewis goes on to say this. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and has no part in the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. It's perceptive, powerful comments by Lewis. Let me just flesh it out a little bit more for you now. If the reward... And the action to get it are connected some way in the way that you reckon which one is valuable. What would be the most valuable gift that you could ever get? Slow down and think about it for a moment. No holds barred, no expense spared. Someone comes up to you and they say, Peter, whatever your name is, what do you want? You can have whatever you want. What do you pick? This is, this is the Tim Tam ad, isn't it? That's what this is. This is the dead set Tim Tam ad. Um, the genie comes and says, what do you want? And just let me show you a uh, Tim Tam ad just to whet your appetite here. Here we go. Three wishes, Charlie. But Charlie, you can't eat chocolate. Oh, he knows. Tim Tam, what more could you wish for? Classic question at the end, isn't it? What more could you wish for? And a packet of Tim Tams that never runs out. Well, I think there's something better. Way better. Something actually that every single pleasure, every legitimate pleasure you've ever had, something it actually points to. And that's God himself. You know, 1 Peter 3 verse 18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Do you know something that getting God is better than getting a Ferrari that never needs to have fuel put in it, never gets trolley scrapes and never ends up in a crash? Getting God is better than getting a packet of Tim Tams that never runs out. You know, eternity is going to be you get him and just more of him forever. And if you think about every good thing you can think about now, bundle all of those up and times and times and infinity, and that's going to be what it's like to have God forever. Every pleasure in this life is meant to point to him. They're all a reflection of him. And some of you are going at this point, it's like, yeah, nice one, Pete. All right, you started off with the rewards thing and um, now you've just kind of switched this in for this general thing and we're actually excited about something, but now you're kind of 
let us down a bit, right? Uh, so you got out of that one, Pete. Um, can you boil it down for me? What are the details? Well, I do want to boil it down to you, uh, down for you into the details. Um, but before we do that, I just want to say as a summary, it doesn't make sense. If you think about rewards, it's like I'm going to get in my closet and pray to Jesus so that I can get something else that I really, really want that's different to God. That doesn't make sense. I don't think that's the kind of reward that God's actually going to provide for us. I think God's reward for us is going to be bound up in the person of God. And, and it's going to be about our delight and desire being directed toward God. So here we go. Here's the last point this morning. How do you get rewards? Well, um, if I just say it really simply, uh, delight in God and do what he tells you to do. There you go. It's like, we can finish. It's like closing prayer. Uh, delight in God and do what he tells you to do. But I'm going to help you out a little bit more. There's lots of different rewards we could actually talk about in terms of uh, the kinds of actions that will get a reward. But I want to hang out in Matthew chapter 6. So if you've lost, lost Matthew 6, just go back to Matthew 6 because we're going to hang there for a little bit. We're going to look at one kind of reward in the New Testament. Now, when you look at Matthew chapter 6, just have it in front of you. One of the things that you need to remember is that in Jesus' day, the culture was a very strongly shame and honour culture. That's what it was. And one of the things about shame and honour cultures is uh, we are less of a shame and honour culture than, uh, than in Jesus' day, as far as I'm concerned. But one of the things about shame and honour cultures is shame and honour cultures control people's behaviour through shame and honour without having to legislate it which is kind of why I think in our culture we have to legislate more stuff because there's less shame and honour that actually goes on. Um, now, having said all of that, I, I just want to add something else. I think we're more of a shame and honour culture than what people think in Australia. What's a shame and honour culture? Well, a shame and honour culture is really where you've got clear moral standards and there's some clarity about what makes you a cool person or a good person and what makes you a bad person. Um, and that's, I think, the trick. If you actually want to find where shame and honour operates uh, most powerfully in Australian culture, you've got to find where the moral values or the good and bad uh, definitions are clearer. When you find that, you find where shame and honour is actually operating. Let me give you a few places I think that shame and honour operates a fair bit in Australian culture. Uh, social media. Uh, social media is a particularly strong shame and honour culture. There are things that you can do that are going to get you lots of likes and there are things that you do that aren't. And there's some kind of clarity about that. It's about views. It's about how many people are watching you. You know, this is an ongoing temptation for all of us doing live streaming. It's like how much do we actually care about how many people are watching? Um, how do we go when we make mistakes? Like I heard there was some guy who got up and said happy birthday to all the mothers on Mother's Day, you know? And it's like, what is he doing? You know, he ought to hang his head in shame because that's gone public to everyone. I used to do an exercise with students at, uh, at school when I was working at schools. And I, I would get a whiteboard and just use a whiteboard marker and I would say to the students, this is in high schools, in high school, I would say to them, Tell me all the things that make you a cool person in this school and all the things that make you a loser. And do you know what? 
they nailed it every time. I never ever had one time where they came up with one idea and they didn't know what the shame and honor rules were for their particular culture. There, there were things that brought you honor and there were things that brought you shame. I mean, this can even happen in a marriage relationship where a spouse is absolutely committed to pleasing the other spouse and is stuck in a kind of slavery and wanting to please the other, the other spouse. All of a sudden, the spouse's preferences become the categories for what is honorable and what is shameful. This, I'm absolutely convinced that there's a shame on a culture in the project church. Absolutely. Whenever you have a strong moral set of moral standards, you have shame and honor. So as soon as we at the project value things, all of a sudden what people will start to think a bit, and they won't always say it out loud, but they'll go, oh, that's the stuff that makes you a cool person at the project, and that's the stuff that makes you a loser. So we do the cool things and not the loser things. It ought not be that way, but it just is that way. Look down at Matthew chapter 6. What's going on? Verse 1. What's going on is people are practicing their righteousness to be seen by other people. They give to the needy to be praised by other people. Can you see the problem? They're mercenaries. <laughs> they don't actually value God and what God's up to and God's heart to be someone who looks after the weak and the poor and the orphan. They actually want something different. They want to give to the needy so they can get the Ferrari. They want to fight the battle just so that they can get the money and the money's the critical thing. They're not doing it for God or for other people. They're doing it for personal gain. They are, as Jesus says, hypocrites. Verse 2, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. What does Jesus say? That's all you get. If you want to do things to impress other people and get the approval of other people, that's all you get. They get recognized as a righteous and, uh, and good person for a second, I reckon. <laughs> Just stop and think about it for a moment. Think about how fleeting and fragile the opinions of other people are. A philosopher called Schopenhauer, I've quoted him numerous times in the project, but he made this comment that the, uh, the opinions of other people in other people's heads is too wretched a place for true happiness to find its seat. What's he saying? He's saying if you live for approval of other people, you're going to live a very unstable life. It's going to be fleeting and fragile. How much work is that going to take to stay in the good books of other people? It's not just one prayer, is it? It's not just one amount of almsgiving. It's an ongoing thing. I mean, think about it in our day. You write a social media post and you get a like and you did it to get the like and Jesus says to you, that's it. That's all you get. Turns a reward. That's it. You're done. And like, seriously, all of us should just go, wow, that's really disappointing. <laughs> really like i get that that's all i get on a screen and then it drops into the facebook bin at the bottom of the uh, news feed this is the risk of doing anything public for the approval of others minimal reward that's what jesus want to get wants to get through to all of our heads it's like okay well that's a really lame reward 
You can get after that one, but that's a really lame reward. It's a dumb reward to go after. Now, quick side note. Is Jesus saying that everything we do must be in secret? Is that what he's saying? Now, I've had people say to me before with regard to financial giving to the church, it's really, really important to not let anyone know who sees what you're giving. And I'm totally okay if you've got a conviction in that direction. Okay, and often people will quote, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But here's the problem with interpreting it that way. The problem with interpreting it that way is you have to apply the same thing to prayer. Because the very next section is about praying to be seen by other people. So the first one is give to be seen by other people. Second one, praying to be seen by other people. And you might say to me, well, maybe we shouldn't pray in public. Now, at that point, it gets weird, right? Because there's public prayers in the Bible. See, I don't think Jesus's point here is about the fact that we need to do everything in secret at all. I mean, there is a risk, isn't there? There's a risk to everything that we do publicly. It's not just giving and it's not just praying, it's everything. There is a risk to doing singing for the praise and the approval of others. There's a risk to doing any kind of leading for the praise and approval of others. There's a risk to doing preaching. Anytime you love or serve anyone and anyone else sees, there's a risk that you could do it for the praise and the approval of others. Is Jesus teaching that we all need to go into hiding and wear balaclavas and have cam gear on so that no one can actually see what we're doing? I don't think so. I think what Jesus is saying is you need to do things for the approval of God. And here's a, here's a bottom line. Here's, I really want to bless you, right? Because no one who's a Christian got into this gig because we wanted approval. We just didn't. Like, that's not the kind of person that you are. We can get tripped up in it. We can get concerned about Facebook. We can get concerned about what other people think. We can be embarrassed when we make a mistake. But you know what? If you love Jesus, you didn't get into this game in the very beginning to get approval from other people. You got into it because you love Jesus and you wanted to give your life to him. That, this is not you. <laughs> that's what I want to say. If, if you are stuck... If you love Jesus and you get stuck sometimes in the approval of other people and living for their, their praise, I want to say to you, that's not most deeply who you are. You, you, you aren't one of the hypocrites. You can be hypocritical, but you aren't one of the hypocrites that Jesus is talking about. You live to the rhythm of a different drummer. And I would appeal to you this morning to return to your first love. Be unnoticed by God. Sorry, be unnoticed by others, but noticed by God. You see, this is, this is the key thing that Jesus is saying here is, is seek God's approval. Live for him. Live before his face, not the face of others. Respond to his voice, not the opinions of others. I, uh, as I was reading this week, I found this wonderful quote and I I want to just uh, read it for you. The secret of religion is religion in secret. The secret of religion is religion in secret. And I, I would just, uh, before we just close out the message today on rewards, 
Um, I want to ask you how your private religion is going. How are your affections for Jesus at the moment? Is there good alignment between your activity and your closeness to Jesus? Are you running on autopilot? Or is uh, your service to him and your love of other people just flowing out of the overflow of what Jesus is doing inside of you? Let's be honest, sometimes they can get out of sync. And when you get out of sync with what's going on in terms of your affection and your relationship with Jesus, you can live with it for a little while. If that's you, if that's you today where you just go, it's pretty dry for me. I get stuck in living for the approval of other people. I would just ask, what are you doing to correct it? Maybe, maybe Jesus is doing some realignment therapy on you at the moment. Maybe he's uh, showing you some of your weakness that helps you to see him more clearly and to stir up your relationship with him. Maybe he's got you on some kind of wild goose chase where he's leading you along, doing amazing things and showing you amazing things. You know, to live before the face of God, to be tuned into his voice, to, be, to care about his approval, especially on the back of Jesus dying on the cross, which guarantees that we're accepted by him. That is a sure and steady foundation. Here's where I want to end. I want to end by, uh, remember earlier we read a section out of 1 Corinthians 3. This is one of the clearer parts in scripture about exactly what the nature of God's reward is for us. If we go on a few more verses, we read 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15. If you go down to chapter 4, verse 5, it kind of gives us a bit of a heads up as to what the nature of the reward will be. Uh, it says this in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Listen to this. Then, when Jesus comes back, each one will receive his commendation from God. Isn't that beautiful? When Jesus comes back, one of the rewards that you're going to get is God saying, well done. And that day, I can guarantee you, that day is going to be an amazing day. It's going to be an incredible day. Imagine, I mean, seriously, humans live for like 70 or 80 years. Someone can have an opinion, opinion about you and no one is, is even going to be thinking about them in 100 years. No one's even going to know who they were. But to have the creator of the universe, the one to whom ultimately everything matters, say to you, well done, son. Well done, daughter. That, not like MasterCard, that will be priceless. So what, what does Jesus teach us to do in Matthew chapter 6? He teaches us to do an action that receives a reward that's in line with the action. What's that? You seek after him. You seek after him. You seek after his approval. You see the intrinsic connection. You seek after his approval and you deny the approval of other people. What, is, what does Jesus say is going to happen? I think what he's saying is you get God's approval. 
And Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, is that God will say to you, well done. You will become, as one commentator I read this week said, you'll become the kind of person that can enjoy God. Can we earn rewards? No. Can we be approved on our own by the good things that we do? No. You know, our approval by God in the person of Jesus on the cross is a gift. And do you know something? Every single reward that we'll ever get will not be earned. It will be a gift. On the day that Jesus returns, we will say, in the words of the uh, servant in the parable Jesus told in Luke 17 verse 10, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty? And he will say, well done. 